The tough thing is that you know most businesses are assessed on their trailing 12 month performance against prior 12 months. There is a real community which is engaging with the product, then you know my view is these are bargain. These are bargain deals that traditional PE would be dying for if they knew about. We are a an ecosystem and a network that they can tap into. So you get the best of both worlds, the deals that come from the sellers directly as well as the deals that come from the brokers. So on today's episode, I'm speaking with the CEO of Flipper.com. We talk about M&A, exits, multiples, deal flow, all the shebang about buying and selling businesses through marketplaces or brokers. It's a great episode you do not want to miss, so do stay tuned. Retail and e-commerce have witnessed an unprecedented transformation in the last decade. The widespread adoption of mobile technology, social media, as well as the lowered cost of cloud-based technology have not only eroded the barriers to entry in retail, but it's also led to the rapid rise and dominance of digital native product brands that sell directly to their customers. On this podcast, you'll get the scoop on customer acquisition and retention strategies employed by high-growth digital native product brands. Not being afraid to spend because you know that customer is going to pay it back uh, three or fourfold. That's when you start to unlock channels in the way that they were meant to be used. And- Listen to interviews with experts at the forefront of technology and innovation in digital retail. Three years ago, they wouldn't have come to us because, yeah, the macro trend of cloud, Wi-Fi, broadband availability, that was a real, that was a real problem. Hear first-hand stories from founders of innovative direct-to-consumer brands. Although I was thinking about the competition, I was more thinking about, like, how do I just build a freaking successful business? We focus on driving as much traffic as possible, converting that traffic, uh, and then dumping money back into driving more traffic. These insights will help you consistently 2x growth in specific areas of your direct-to-consumer brand. This is the 2x e-commerce podcast, hosted by Kunle Campbell. As you continue to grow your e-commerce business, access to growth capital would increasingly play a significant role in achieving and surpassing your financial and social goals. Why should you give up equity or pay high interest rates to grow your business? There is a new way to access growth capital that transforms e-commerce businesses. Wayflyer has shaken the way e-commerce operators access working capital. With a dedication to only D2C e-commerce businesses, Wayflyer will fund you on a fairer fund-as-you-grow model, meaning if your sales slow down, so does the amount you transfer back. There's just a simple fee and the funds you need to grow are deposited to your account instantly. It's worth checking out on wayflyer.com. That's W-A-Y-F-L-Y-E-R. Hello, 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 2Xers. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast. I'm your host, Kune Campbell. The 2X e-commerce, as you know, is dedicated to digital commerce insights for retail and e-commerce teams. Each week on this podcast, we interview either a founder at a way and test and see if it works over the next 30 days. If it works, tell me what your growth stories. If it doesn't, move on, iterate, learn fast, fail fast, move on for success. We want you to grow your conversions, your average order value. We want to build your retention. 
efforts, your audience size, and eventually your gross merchant value or sales. We are here to help you sell more sustainably on 2X e-commerce. On today's episode, um, I interviewed Blake Hodgkinson, who is the CEO, not founder, but the CEO of Flipper.com. Flipper was or has been one of those pillar sites, along with the likes of Empire, you know, Flippers. They're the pioneers in um, in e-commerce or in digital M&A, in the, in the digital M&A space. They're, they're pioneers. I'm... Um, they're, they're over a decade old, um, and I think it's owned by the same chap who owns 99designs. Um, they're the world's largest, according to them, marketplace to buy and sell online businesses. Blake leads the team as they build out products and powering exits and ownership for business owners and entrepreneurs globally. Prior to, to running Flipper, Blake has held leadership in software called Zero. Um, so on, on this episode, um, I, I sort of grounded this episode on um, on a quote from my co-founder at Octalian Capital Partners, Ayo, who often remarks that M&A, it's merging acquisitions for those of you who, um, who are not aware, is the final frontier in business mastery. And the, the reason why, you know, he says that and, you know, we align with that at OCP is... Um, just study any any successful business and you'd see one of the growth strategies, sometimes even a protection strategy, is to acquire um, businesses. It's Sometimes it's just faster, right? So you can acquire a target, say you have 500,000 active users or customers rather, and you acquire another you know, business that has a hundred thousand active users and you've increased your, your, you've, you've increased your user base or customer base by 20%. That's just an example. So Blake in, in this episode, just take any flipper is both, um, a, a marketplace platform as well as, um, as well as has a brokerage, um, in it. So you could actually, you know, interact with, um, with staff there, um, with sales staff that would help you, you know, find the deals you're looking for. Well, besides that, I really quiz him on multiples. Um, I quiz him on intangible value, particularly for, you know, brands that have built communities and, um, a lot of brand equity, you know, why the standard 4X, you know, 4X SD or 4X net profit actually matters for, um, for, for, for brands, um, for, for really brand driven businesses. And we talk about deal flow. We talked about, um, you know, geos. So the intricacies of, um, buying a business that does not have, um, three PL, um, overseas cross border. How do you manage that? And he gave really, really interesting examples and, um, answers to that. Um, and then we talked about, um, just, general tips on how to prepare your business, um, you know, for, for an exit and what the next 12 months will look like in the M&A space. I, I find that I'm, I'm blessed. I feel blessed, um, given the fact that I've learned so much in, in the M&A space, still a lot, a ton to learn in, in the past year with, um, the founding of Octillion Capital Partners. We, I will give you an update on, um, on our acquisition, um, it is going to happen fairly soon. Um, I would make announcements, you know, about it when it happens on the podcast. You guys will be the first to, to hear. 
Um, but besides that, great, great, great episode. Um, he's, he's quite versed, um, you know, quite a versatile CEO, really, really good convo um, with Blake. So yeah, thanks for the listen and let me know what you think. Leave us reviews, remember, on um, social platforms and enjoy. The 2X e-commerce podcast is brought to you by Klaviyo, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Klaviyo gives you the tools to get going faster. That is why it's trusted by over 50,000 e-commerce brands like Brooklinen, Nun, and Chobbies. Build your contact list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit klaviyo.com forward slash 2x to create your free account. That is K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com forward slash 2x. Hey, Blake, welcome to the 2x e-commerce podcast. Hey, Kunlai, thanks for having me. Fantastic. Um, let me, wh- where do I start from? I'm like very, very looking forward to, to this. Um, very excited to, to about this, 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 this episode, um, because, you know, Flipper goes way back, right? Um, and we use Flipper in Octillion Capital Partners, um, and you're very data, um, you know, driven, which is, which is why I like it. But before I just go on all that, <laughs> before I just try, try you know, um, just, just go off tangent, I'd like to know your backstory. Where did it all start? Have you been entrepreneurial as it, were you entrepreneurial as a kid? Um, and yeah, I just like to know your, your background. I don't think I was entrepreneurial as a kid. I mean, I had a, a real, um, desire to work and work hard, but probably no no different to any other, you know, 15 or 16-year-old here in Australia looking to make their first paycheck or get their first paycheck. I think I developed a real passion for entrepreneurship after relocating from Australia to San Francisco. And so I spent okay. six years in San Francisco and it gave me a real sense of understanding for, um, well, obviously startups. Um, secondly, for the hustle. And the thrill of the chase, the idea that something very small can become very big, not only through obviously having a very good idea, um, but through amassing great talent around you and and slogging at it for long enough until you find a pathway to obviously MVP and then scale. So I I got a great deal of um, inspiration from my time in San Francisco and haven't stopped since then. Interesting. So you're in Melbourne, um, Australia now. You did you did you grow up in Melbourne yourself? Yeah, grew up in Melbourne, moved to Tokyo, came back to Australia, moved to San Francisco after the BBC acquired a travel publish, publisher called Lonely Planet. Okay. And so I was seconded um, to the US representing the Lonely Planet business development team. Spent six okay. years in the US both Lonely Planet, the BBC, and then for a startup, um, 2008, so just prior to the GFC, um, worked for a startup there. We raised $13 million, essentially off a piece of paper to build a new age trip planner. And believe it or not, we raised from um, ex-Lehman Brothers Capital, which was rebranded <sighs> shortly after the GFC to Tanaya Capital. Wow. 
Okay. Incredible. Incredible. And and, and then, you, so did you work in, in the startup in, 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 in B, for, for BBC over um, the, the, the entire six years in, in San Francisco? Or is that where you sort of originated the, you know, what ideated, you know, flipper.com? Yeah, so I, I consider myself entrepreneurial, but just to be clear, I'm not the founder of Flipper. I've been running Flipper now for nearly four years. But interestingly okay. enough, I did have a um, – I relocated back to Australia and I started a what began as a daily email magazine uh, similar to Daily Candy and Thrill List and Urban Daddy. It was a lifestyle publication. Mm-hmm. From that spawned a marketplace to buy and sell specialty food, a little bit like Etsy but specifically for specialty food. And I tried to sell that on Flipper. So I'm a customer and a user of the Flipper product. Mm. At that point in time, uh, I worked for Zero cloud accounting software, mm-hmm. then ran Australia's fastest growing e-commerce business, which was an online travel agency called Luxury Escapes. Mm-hmm. At that point, Having done those things, having experienced different business models across different industries, I was recruited to run Flipper. So interesting journey and now find myself running, obviously, a global marketplace to buy and sell online businesses. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. Makes sense. And, and the founder of, of, of Flipper, I, I remember he also founded, um, what was this, um, 99 Designs? Is it Matt? Yeah, Mikos? that's right. Is he still is he still active in in Flipper or? Yeah, he is. He's on the board. He's uh, the you know alongside the other co-founder Mark Harbottle, who's based here in Australia. Matt's based in North America. North America. They're the single largest shareholders. Uh, they sit on the board. They're very close advisors to mine. They're marketplace mm-hmm. experts in their blood. And as you said, um, ninety nine designs as well. What was really interesting about that story and lesson for entrepreneurs is you never quite know where a great idea comes from, right? Because yeah. they had a, uh, a platform and a community called SitePoint. And SitePoint spawned two businesses. The first one was 99designs where people were trading design. And the second one was Flipper where people were trading templates, source code, blogs and things like that. Mm-hmm. So they spun those two businesses out as standalone marketplaces about six years into SitePoint's journey, and Flipper's mm-hmm. now been around for thirteen years. Yeah, yeah, I remember because um, I, I, you know, I'd used um, ninety nine designs um, to ideate, you know, a few, um, you know, um, products. We, we just the the brand identity at the time, you know, and it was fascinating that you could get sort of, you know, um, a so such diverse um you know pitches design pitches ready-made design pitches and then you choose one and yeah it was quite 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 good quite good okay so interesting very 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 interesting and and so you're at flipper now now what does the what your your ceo flipper what does running flipper look like on a day-to-day basis um you know how many people are we talking about the back end um it's a very digital business as, as you can imagine it's a marketplace yep. so there's there's economies of scale um so so what is it what, what's your day-to-day um as a time zones are a nightmare um that's the first thing i would say um yeah so day-to-day is building the team and we're building a product and engineering function here in melbourne and a sales function in austin texas so just to give you some context around that, product and engineering 
has always been born and bred in Melbourne, Australia for Flipper, which gives hopefully some people confidence that you can actually build a product-led organisation from anywhere in the world and, and still acquire a global customer base. But interestingly enough, of course, you know, as the average transaction value increases on Flipper, people need not only the, the efficiency of the platform, but some advisory to go with that. Yeah. And so we've started to add expertise in our Austin office and built a sales function there. So a lot of my day-to-day relates to um, working with the product and engineering function to scope out our next big rock initiatives. And we've got Mm -hmm. some real innovations. I'm happy to talk about a few of those today coming down the pipe. Um, And then separately, helping that sales team be more efficient in their approach. And that's Mm -hmm. not only through the technologies, but also our training that we mm. we conduct almost daily to ensure that they're, they're experts in multiple business models. Because, of course, on Flipper, what's really unique about it is you've got small business owners and entrepreneurs, startups from all walks of life, be it e-com, of course, which, you know, we can talk about today, but also SaaS and iOS and Android apps and uh, content sites and things like that. So the day-to-day is really about product development mm-hmm. and sales efficiency. And uh, it, it very much... Um, is is the lifeblood of our organisation. Can we build a great platform which helps deals get done easier for both parties? Mm. And can we provide the advisory that they need to do those deals? Mm-hmm. And so, so, so in regards to deals, how many deals are currently listed on, on Flipper? Um, on an average, um, how many deals typically get listed um, when, you know, when people are browsing through? So there's probably about 6,000 live listings at any mm-hmm. given time. Mm-hmm. We also have a different measure for that, which is kind of marketplace value, so the value of the assets. Right. To give you some sense of that, we just had a record $130 million in marketplace value added in June, so not mm. quite the end of the month. And that's indicative of, interestingly enough, it's not necessarily that we're getting more assets list. It's that the average value of the asset has increased over time. And that's as, frankly, as more buyers come to the platform with different needs and, and bigger budgets and bigger wallets. That's is, one way is, to think about it. Is that due to SDE or multiples? So we do it on a multiple of SDE for the main street. So that's 500K, sub 500K revenue mm-hmm. to 2 mil annual revenue. And for the lower middle market, you do it on a net profit multiple mm-hmm. and lower middle market being 2 mil annual rev to 50 mil annual rev. So we have two two slightly different valuation approaches. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, from a multiple standpoint, um, you have, you know, websites, apps, domains, mm-hmm. e-commerce, content sites, um, SaaS businesses, and even service businesses, apparently, and Amazon AdSense businesses. How do multiples vary from... Um, from from essentially sector, these are not even verticals. These, these are you know key different business types, really. So from sector to sector, particularly e-commerce content versus um, um, SaaS. If we were to just yeah. whittle it down into those three categories, yeah. So so to simplify, typically a e-com business doesn't have the margin or margins of a content or SaaS business. So what that means is typically you're getting 
sub one times revenue multiples, sub one times revenue multiples. Yeah. <laughs> we probably need to say it again. Sometimes sub one times revenue multiples. But profit multiples, um, I'm looking at a few examples here just based on my index. Uh, deal done yesterday, $2.5 million e-commerce business at 3.62 profit multiple, right? Yeah. So you tend to be looking at two to four times and it's all dependent, well, on multiple factors. But one of the biggest factors is obviously margin, right? So how, how efficient is the business that's selling through its product? And that's a lower multiple than what you're going to get for a really high, uh, high caliber app, content site, or SaaS business. If I look at my index now, 5.45 times profit for apps. And I'm seeing at the top end, this is not for all assets, of course, at the top end, I'm seeing 7.63 times for a content site. Now, the reason I'm guessing, I'm guessing that retention rates are quite high. And, and so with, with better retention, CLV, CRV, you're going yeah. to command more, more multiples. It's just more guaranteed money, <laughs> future free money. Users, free users too, right? Google's providing the users based on keyword search. So um, you don't have to spend to acquire. And so, you know, Google and Facebook are making it, well, and arguably with a recession, which we may be going into, arguably you're going to get some better ad rates. But but certainly the cost of advertising, given the competitive space, the competitive nature of the e-com space has become more and more expensive. And so therefore your margins get eaten into. And as a result, um, the profitability that you report is not as high and, and then you get acquired on a profit margin. Whereas a content website typically um, is a more passive asset. So you're your, your cogs line is is less less high, um, mm-hmm. and therefore you get a better margin. Interesting, super super interesting. Okay, um, what about the kinds of acquirers? M um, and A, the M and A space has argu- arguably become very very busy, in particularly yeah. in e commerce. So I really want to just jump into the into e commerce. Um, yep. We have aggregators. Um, you have boutique, um, you know, acquirers that build in um, just a portfolio, um, you know, a decent portfolio of um, of, of companies, similar to what we're doing at Toptelian. And then you have just entrepreneurs, you know, trying to dip in their, 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 their hands in just due to the mm. fact that, um, um, you know, there, there's so much um, information out there. And then you have the online courses, you know, <laughs> just, you know, churning out, you know, so, so-called students who, who are looking at deals. Yes. Um, how, from your perspective, that's my definition. How would you define, um, you know, categories from a flipper viewpoint of, um, yep. you know, buyers that um, regular your your um, your listings? Yeah, I th- I th- look, I think you're right. So, side hustlers, entrepreneurs, companies, and companies can be broken down into you know small organisations that are looking to acquire assets, all the way through to institutional investors. So. Side hustlers, entrepreneurs, and companies, they're the three buyer types. Their budgets differ substantially. Actually, it's rare that the two roads meet. And and you've got this weird um, gap in the market. If anyone can afford them, you get really good deals 
200 to 300 K. And the reason being is <laughs> they're too small for companies and they're too big for individuals typically. Mm. So if any uh, high net worth out there is looking to get good deals, start aggregating um, two to two to three year old e-commerce assets that are that are trading on a two times multiple being sold for two hundred to three hundred thousand dollars. Two times multiple of their SDE profits or SDE, or, yes, okay. SDE, yeah. yeah. So they're the company buyers now. Of course, as I just alluded to. Um, Never the two roads shall meet. Company buyers are a lot bigger. In fact, when we look at our data, their average, their average budget is eight million. So eight million, but not to do a single deal, right? Most company buyers aren't buying one business. Their average budget is eight mil. Now, of course, you've got some mega buyers. You've talked about the aggregators and this PE, and they might be looking at more lower middle markets, so annualized rev of of two to 50 mil, Mm -hmm. but just to be clear on average, on average deal, preferred deal size is 1.6 million for a company buy. Averages are a bit, a little bit misleading for obvious reasons, but 1.6 mil is the average. Meaning that they're, they're, they're looking to purchase about five, five or so, you know, um, businesses with their 8 million. Correct. Now, a side hustler um, is a fun little buyer type. Um, There's lots of them, but to some extent, they're going to stimulate and grow the e-commerce industry around us because they typically have a day job. They uh, They have expertise, and what they do is on the side, they might go and acquire a business for 50 to $150,000, and they scale that. They scale that into the business that you know, the next step up, the entrepreneurs are even above and beyond that, the company buyers want to acquire. So I think it's still early days. You're seeing great maturation of e-commerce businesses. And as a result, the institutional buyers will have a lot of fodder in years to come. Let's take this quick break to hear from our sponsors. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly 500 billion by 2025. As a fast-growing area in commerce, subscriptions hold tremendous opportunities to build a community of customers who share your values. Recharge is the leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale subscription offerings. Recharge powers the growth of over 15,000 subscription merchants and their communities, turning one-time transactions into long-term customer relationships. Whether you're a direct-to-consumer business or an omni-channel brand, subscriptions strengthen the brand relationships with your customers and make it easy for customers to make repeat purchases. With subscriptions, merchants are able to experience predictable revenue, increased customer loyalty, and higher average order values. Turn transactions into relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Get started today with a subscription payment solution trusted by over 50 million subscribers worldwide by heading over to rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x. That is rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x.
Did you know that loyal customers are nine times more likely to convert compared to a first-time shopper? That's why exceptional customer service is so important for your retention and growth. I recommend using Gorgeous, the leading help desk for Shopify, Magento, and big commerce merchants. Gorgeous combines all your communication channels, including email, SMS, social media, live chat, and phone into one platform. This saves your team hours per day and makes managing customer orders a breeze. It also integrates seamlessly with your existing tech stack so you can access customer information and even edit, return, refund, or create an order right from your help desk. To learn more, go to gorgeous.com. That's G-O-R-G-I-A-S.com and mention 2x e-commerce podcast for two months free that is gorgeous.com for two months free just mention 2x e-commerce we we're no doubt um going through very challenging times economically um we're seeing um just weak demand in general um and some people think we've not hit rock bottom yet um, is this reflective in acquisition activity on Flipper at the moment? Um, do you think in the next 12 to 18 months that, you know, there'll be more deals to be had due to the fact that, you know, over the last 12 months, um, you know, um, general revenue and SD, just profits and SD would have been, mm-hmm. you know, suppressed, meaning that um, they're trading 12 months, you know, performance will, yep. you know, yield lower EV, you know, enterprise value. What, what, what's your take on, on that? So the tough thing is that, you know, most businesses are assessed on their trailing 12-month performance against prior 12 months. And so as a result, business owners may find that on paper their businesses don't look as good. Kind of point one, if you like. But we have not seen the demand side dry up. There's a lot of dry powder, in fact, that is looking to acquire good quality businesses. Now, remember, this is an asset class that is currently underappreciated and undervalued. So we just talked before about a $2.5 million asset which was acquired for 3.62 times SDE and 0.73 revenue. It's a high quality asset. Mm -hmm. It's growing. Its unit economics are strong. That is a damn good deal. Now you can't can't compare that to the public market sell-off because you're just dealing with completely different valuation multiples and and ways of valuing businesses. These are small businesses that are still undervalued and underappreciated and, and smart buyers know that. So I don't think we we see less intent from the buying community. One thing that may happen is that savvy buyers use um, the public market sell-off and or the challenging economic times to negotiate, not deservedly, but use it as a negotiation ploy. We haven't seen it yet, but my general sentiment is that as long as company buyers continue to enter the space with dry powder, there's deals to be done. Company buyers being BPP firms? 
PA firms, um, successful entrepreneurs with big businesses who are, you know, buying companies to scale and get grow, mm-hmm. growth. Um, and, you know, don't underestimate how many savvy entrepreneurs, e-commerce operators there are right now thinking about growth through acquisition Absolutely. versus versus. You know, marketing buying, yeah exactly slow yeah because my my partner i often remarks that you know m a is the final frontier in in business you know just um it's it's just for me it's like that black belt you know you, you, you can know marketing you can know sales you know um you could be great at product but every yeah. great company just has an m a you know um strategy to what for yeah. expansion essentially it's, yeah. it's just gaining territory really yeah and if you can do that on a good multiple mm-hmm. where you're dealing with a business with a high average order value so you've got good unit economics um good quality supplier agreements in place um and and most importantly a brand right a brand it's not a fly-by-night operation that is scaled through very heavy investment on Facebook. There is a real community which is engaging with the product. Then, you know, my view is these are bargain. These are bargain deals that traditional PE would be dying for if they knew about it. Yep. And speaking to the point of, you know, um, you know brands, um, there's this is there's another so are you what are your thoughts on the fact that yes you know net profits and you know SDE depending on what you know what parts of the market are a good indicator of multiples but that community how do you value a brand how do you value the community how do you you know that's a an intangible asset but but worth an an awful amount which in many cases, if it's been painstakingly built, does not reflect in the net profit or, you know, SDE. How how do you sort of, do you see deals like that on Flipper? And, and how, All the time, how do those deals? It's, it's an intangible and that's not how the business is being valued. So the business owner is, is um, leaving money on the table because a savvy buyer will talk about your trailing 12-month performance Talk about the fact that, yep, it's wonderful that you've built a community, but the reality is that's not um, that's not a traditional way to value a business, is it? You know, the size mm. of a community. They know, they know just as well as you and I do, that they're paying for performance, but they're buying for opportunity. I love that. And so we see multiple businesses list on Flipper that do a really good job of stating their financial and operational metrics, including the size of their community and the engaged nature of the community, but buyers discounted it. Um, I'm not saying they reduced the price as a result of it. I'm just saying discounted as a, as a means to not reflect it in the actual final sale price. Yeah. But they know how valuable it is and they harness that post-acquisition. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I often see this that for strategic investors, you know, sorry, um, for strategic acquisitions, you know, by um, just conglomerates, they... They, they just don't look at SDE or profit because they know if they don't snap up that, you know, target another, you know, company will, and they just give them multiples of revenue and, you know, they, they just see crazy, 
you know, exits, you know, off the back of it, yeah. you know, case in, in mind, you know, Dollar Shave Club. Yeah, Dollar Shave Club. And that's right. It tends to happen at the um, CPG, at the traditional M&A level, mm-hmm. doesn't it? I mean, I think small business owners, unfortunately, don't don't see as crazy multiples because even though they might have a community of 100,000 or 200,000, um, you know, buyers don't, don't value that in the same way that a Gillette will, a Dollar Shave Club community of tens of millions of people. Super interesting. I want to talk or speak to the case of, you know, cross-border M&A um, over the last decade um, with, with platforms such as yours. Um, it's not surprising you, you do not seeing, um, you know, UK entrepreneurs buying Amazon businesses in, in the US or even Australia. Um, my question is how sustainable is, is that over time, particularly from the point of view of, you know, most of these businesses are 3PL. If you buy an Amazon FBA business, mm-hmm. um, all of the, you know, heavy lifting in terms of the last mile delivery storage and last mile delivery is handled by Amazon. So you don't need to have personnel on ground. You know, you're essentially yep. a marketing and a sourcing company, you know, and product, product, yes. you know, led company. But for a direct to consumer business, it's, 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 it's very different sometimes. You know, a lot of D2C businesses, you know, have, um, you know, warehouses with staff in it. Yep. But what, what are your thoughts on, on how, you know, to, you know, how this all plays out, particularly for, you know, UK entrepreneurs looking to, to buy in the US? Do you move to the US or get a competent CEO in the US to, 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 to manage your COO there? To, to manage operations, how, what, what have you seen? And do you have any stories to, to speak to that? Yeah, I mean, a few. I mean, what you'll tend to see is that they'll retain the owner and operational teams. And you see a lot of those deals and they're structured as, you know, what, what you would understand in traditional M&A land as an earn out, what some people now call a stability payment. <laughs> And so what they'll do is, you know, they'll incentivize the management teams to stay on board for 24 to 36 months and they'll tie those incentives back to the ongoing performance or growth of the asset over a 36-month window so as they've got some assurance that what they're buying is a, a good cash flow generating asset where the risk of deploying a new team is minimised by keeping on the existing. That's the most common. I have, you know, I I don't think it's that sensible a strategy to think that you can acquire a business and then deploy a management team fast enough um, and well enough that you can stabilise the patient. Mm. So, again... What happens to the staff on ground? Say you want to acquire, you know, a business that um, sells furniture, you know, um, in Australia, fantastic numbers. Mm -hmm. um, But even if you can communicate, you know, in the time zone of your suppliers or what have you, you still need to move products. Your your warehouse needs to be efficient. So so does that mean that over the earnout period, um, you know, the the ex-founder is putting together a competent team and a leader replacement to to, to manage operations on there. And 
these these would be obviously the big you know bigger deals you know in context yep. uh, I, I guess there'll be yep. the five million plus deals um yep. so that um and then they set a reporting cadence so that there's smooth operations between you know where you are and you know their operations out there just want you to sort of paint me a picture and mm. what it looked like post yes we see a lot of that i mean we've seen we've seen israeli based private equity by mm. australian based an australian based toy retailer we've seen um us based high net worths um, by Italian based e-commerce. Mm. And I think each deal is a little bit different. But yeah, as you said, I mean the expectation is that there is a a way of working. It's typically checklist based. There's a operational playbook. And that's probably a, a smart piece of advice for prospective sellers. So business owners who are considering a sale, you want to have everything documented. So as there is a SOP or, or operating standard operating procedure, which governs the way that everything works. And yeah, what we, what we tend to find, although, you know, admittedly, it's anecdotal. We candidly and a bit embarrassingly, we don't spend that much time with our buyers post sale. Um, we certainly should, but anecdotally, when we speak to them, yeah, they're assembling teams around the existing operational teams so as to have a safe landing. Makes sense. Makes sense. Makes sense. Makes sense. Because um, one of the things we're doing at Telian is um, we we are getting the founder to be shadowed by a chief operating officer, you know, operational yeah. director. So there's that brain dump, you know, over the, the next six to 12 months while they're, they're earning out. Um, yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Most of the time. So I mean, just to add to that, I mean, most of yeah. the operational teams, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're not, they're not shareholders. They're not equity holders in the business. Yeah. So they, they want to keep their jobs. They want to be retained. So once the manager has, um, worked out their earnout period or achieved that stability payment, um, you know, we often see that GMs are placed and CEOs are placed or COOs are placed into those businesses, but the core teams are retained. Yeah. And a lot of the time due diligence not only comes down to the 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 financials for obvious reasons and the metrics governing those financials, but but it comes down to who are the key components, who are your key men on the ground came on women, I should say, on the ground that drive the assets performance. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Makes sense. It's the people, really. It's you know, it's, it's really that found foundational, you know, bit leadership, and then you know the people around around that. Cool, cool, cool. Um, before I let you go, uh, I wanted to just you to give us some um, just killer tips on finding deals on Flipper. You know, tips yep. you haven't said anywhere else, you know, first. <laughs> um, yes, the first yep. thing is we we have off-market and private deals, okay? Right. So what you see on Flipper is not actually what is for sale. It's a big part of it, of course. And so the best way to find out about those private deals is to set up a buyer profile, including your bio. So the buyer profile enables you to set a budget, um, preferred deal size, obviously business model, category, location, 
those types of things, whether it's subject, it's likely to be a deal subject to financing or not. Accordingly, what we do is then, you know, alert you of relevant deals both on and off market. The second biggest tip is to simply sign up for our daily, weekly or monthly email. It's free. All of, you know, Flipper doesn't have a buyer subscription. It's a free service. You can sign up to as many things as you want. People love that email. It's a curated email. So our our advisors pick the deals by business model that they want to showcase. You don't have to come back to the platform ever. Just get that email, wait for something to hit your inbox that makes sense to you. Um, it's not necessarily always the biggest deals, but it's the deals that make the most sense for the biggest number of email subscribers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Tap into our relationship managers so they can hunt for you. They are paid to be your business development workforce. They will go and find deals relevant for you. Mm-hmm. We had we had a mandate on our platform a couple of months ago for a, a, a buyer who had $50 million to spend. Average preferred deal size was 8 to $12 million, and we've just found him an $11.5 million deal using one of our relationship managers. So, yes, we're a technology platform first and foremost, um, unlike most others, which are brokers, brokers use our platform. So we are a an ecosystem and a network that they can tap into. So you get the best of both worlds, the deals that come from the sellers directly as well as the deals that come from the brokers. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Blake, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the 2X e-commerce podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Before I let you go, um, for those of you who want to, you know, check out Flipper, it's flipper.com. Um, but Blake, are you active yourself on on social media? Do you do you are you a LinkedIn poster? Do you do, do you tweet a lot? Um, if if yes, um, you know, what what platforms are you most active on? Yeah, most active on LinkedIn. I just find that the conversations better. Uh, mm-hmm. Personally, you can get me on Twitter at Blake now. Um, from mm-hmm. time to time, I'll share deals and tips and those types of things. Otherwise, if you want to connect directly, I'd love to chat to any of your audience and listenership at uh, on my LinkedIn, LinkedIn account. Just find me at Blake Hutchison. An absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of 2X e-commerce. We encourage you to connect with our community of 2X e-commerce listeners on our Facebook group, e-commerce growth accelerator mastermind just search for 2x e-commerce on facebook to find it answer three questions and you'll be approved grab the show notes of this episode on our website 2xecommerce.com finally if you haven't already give the show a review on your podcasting app catch you on the next show and keep growing